0: This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.08. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. First up this hour, a recent survey of teenagers uh, indicates some perhaps worrying statistics when it comes to sexual behavior.
1: Yeah, but no need to panic. Uh, the Adolescent Health Survey involves some, um, um, uh, I think, over 1,000 uh, kids, uh, secondary school students, uh, age 13 to 17. It was conducted last year. This is, I think, the third iteration of such a survey, 2012, 2017. The numbers are changing, um, uh, Shamila, there, but here we have a clear sense that about uh, around eight percent of young people are involved in sexual activity, right? As teenagers, uh, it was about eight point three in two thousand twelve. It dipped to seven point three in two thousand seventeen. up a little bit to seven point six. So, questions with uh, these statistically
0: uh, significant numbers. So, there's that. Um, to me, what stood out um, a couple of things. Out of those, um, out of that number of. Adolescents who are sexually active, 33% are apparently before the age of 14, while while 88% of that number are not using any form of birth control or condoms. So I think whether or not... Um, The number of people who, a number of young people who are sexually active is of concern. Um, The fact that perhaps they're not seemingly aware of safe sex is certainly for me uh, a major issue that we need to be talking more about. And of course, all of this um, goes to the issue of are we doing well when it comes to imparting this sort of information to our young people?
1: Yeah, it does seem like every time a question of sex education comes out, there are two basic camps. One uh, camp, you can call it the abstinence camp, which says that is the only message out there for young people. Don't do it. The other camp saying, well, if you're going to do it, we're not encouraging you to do it. But if you're going to do it, then please do it in a responsible way. I mean, there might be a third camp, but we don't have to uh,
0: (laughs) talk about them at this point in time. I think there are a number of things to unpack and we will um, be speaking with an expert very shortly. But I think um, other than the sex ed, um, the sort of safety biology aspect of the conversation, increasingly I think it is also important for us to be talking about uh, emotional preparedness, for instance. Uh, Because if we're talking about... um, Uh, kids who are 14 uh, being sexually active, surely there's also a question of do they know enough about relationships, for instance? Do they know enough about what it means um, for there to be that sort of a connection with a person? What does that mean in terms of their um, mental preparedness to deal with uh, consequences? So there's a lot there when we talk about sex education. And and at least from what I've seen in terms of what's available in our schools, it tends to take a, a Slightly more hands-off approach to the whole conversation. Uh, so we will be talking about this soon with our guest, Adelina Zukifli, who is a capacity-building officer with the Women's Aid Organisation. But in the meantime, we'd like to hear from you as well. What's lacking in our sex education? You can call 777 send us a voice note or WhatsApp 18 Tweet us at BFM Radio. Building First World Malaysians. Malaysia. BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It is 5.13. You're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sherad. We are talking about a recent survey of adolescents in the country um, and what that indicates about... The Sexual behavior, sexual education. And so we're asking you what's lacking when it comes to our sex ed. You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018 789 8899, tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now is Adlina Zulkifli, a capacity building officer with the Women's Aid Organization. Adlina, good to have you with us today.
2: Hello, thank you so much for having me.
0: So a number of stats stand out from that Adolescent Health Survey of 2022. So um, just running through them, it shows that 7.6% of adolescents engage in sex compared to 8.3% from 2012. Um, And of those, 33% were 14 and below, 88% did not use any form of birth control. What do these numbers tell us?
2: Right, so just from like, just looking at those numbers and putting moral judgment aside, I think it's really alarming um, because they're not even like age of consent, which is 16. So it really makes you wonder like, are they um, are they being pressured into this? Do they really um, consent to what they're doing? Um, and of course, like the issue of them not using contraception is really, really alarming to us. Um, and it shows a lot of things that we can be working on, especially from a women's agency. Uh, but first of all, I think it's a really, really good effort from the Ministry of Health for just showcasing these numbers to us so that us as a society can really see like, OK, this is the reality of it.
1: Yeah, if we could take that further, what do we know about where and how young people are learning about sex that might actually get them uh, acting upon it? What are the gaps that you have observed?
2: So um, I think the gap is that the, the things that they've been taught in school is very much still abst- abstinence-based. And so we really need to like segue away from that and go um, and kind of teach them in a more holistic way um, instead of telling them, you know, it's wrong to have sex. We should acknowledge that they will have it even, even if like they're not getting the permission to or they're doing it. Um, it's how we should be educating them on the correct way and the safe way for them to be doing it.
0: Now, in trying to address this issue, the first thing that comes to mind um, is comprehensive sex education in our schools. Do you think, firstly, that this is the way forward?
2: Yeah, um, the sexual education is actually being taught through the PJK syllabus, so the Pernetic and Jasmini, in the schools, as well as through the CAFE team program. Um, and this is accessible not only to the people um, in school, but also outside of school. And there are other things being championed by the LPPKN. Um, but again, it really goes back to the abstinence-based thing and um, to really advocate for a more comprehensive sexual education in which We kind of listen to them on what they want to learn instead of us kind of dictating the syllabus for them. Is really the way forward because um, they are are the ones engaging in sexual activities. And, you know, for us to be um, the big brother and big sister, we really need to listen to them on what they know, what they don't know, what's lacking and where we can help them.
1: If you could help us who haven't been in school for a long time and didn't have yes. sex education or anything even <laughs> resembling it, uh, what does the as reproductive and social health education elements, the peers elements, what, what does it look like in secondary schools today?
2: So in short, it mainly um, focuses on contraception and teen pregnancy. So all the biological facts here and there, um, but we're not touching enough on, the, uh, on consent.
0: And um, in terms of, well, actually, there is a question that's come in from a listener, which I think is quite relevant to this particular point. Uh, Jason is saying, I remember learning about reproductive health back in school in Form 3 or Form 4. Honestly, I feel that's a little late as kids might have sex um, much earlier. So maybe we should be starting sexual education earlier. Um, Any comment on that? And what could that look like? Um, Sex education that comes in earlier at a younger age?
2: So the stats have shown us that they're having, um, they're engaging in sexual activity as young as the age of fourteen, which is like form two, right? So if we do want to teach them um, sexual comprehensive sexual education at an early age, it really needs to be age appropriate, um, based on you know their understanding level, because we can't really be teaching five year olds things that you'll be teaching a teenager. Um, but I do think like it's a good step, um, and the earlier they do it, they, the earlier they do it, and the earlier. Um, the schools and also their family because I think it needs to be like collaborative effort with everyone in society so really stepping aside from you know sex sex is a taboo topic and really normalizing the conversation so that kids as young as that um, can understand it and we're not using words like um, uh, you know the cookie and the flower we're using actual biological terms that they will come across and and it's just their, their bodily things that they possess
1: I'm still trying to wrap my head around the cookie, but OK, as a metaphor <laughs> for, for this. But uh, but yeah, let's talk about, uh, you know, the the issue of when, because uh, for many of us, puberty is that transition in your body that perhaps uh, demands you get some information and, and learn about ways of dealing mm-hmm. with this new body that you're getting. But is it yeah. is that the only point that we should be thinking about sexuality and and your body How young do children, in fact, start to understand their bodies as a source of pleasure uh, for themselves or for other people and so on and so forth?
2: Yeah. So um, as I'm aware, I think as young as the age of like three or four for boys and girls, they already start um, to have those thoughts and also the sensations. So I think it can start at that age, you know, when parents can possibly teach the kids that there's good touch and bad touch. And again, this is repeated by the teachers in school um, because they're not wrong to want to explore their bodies because they have all these urges. And at that age, they don't really know what to do with all the energy. Um, so it really goes back to everyone around them. Um, but I think using things like puppets and using diagrams, visual cues for kids especially is really helpful. And then as we get older, we adapt it to their age.
0: How can we take cultural sensitivities into account, um, particularly when we're talking about the Malaysian context?
2: So I think um, sex is still definitely like a taboo topic with certain cultures and religion. Um, and despite respecting the norm of the religion, we do have to um, understand that the kids are engaging in sexual activities really, really young, and they're not even using contraception. Um, and so, as much as you wanna kind of use a religious background in which they, you know, they they aren't even supposed to be having sex, we're really like pushing it under the rug and not addressing the problem. Um, instead, just closing a blind eye to it, which really could fester. And that's why we have issues like um, baby dumping and you know unwanted teenage pregnancies, et cetera.
1: Yeah, so one of the paradoxical findings of this survey was that, in fact, there's much more uh, adolescent sexual activity going on in a state like Klantan uh, than it is there is in a state like Slango, right? So if we start to look at some of these facts that have surfaced through the survey, what we also know about childhood marriages in, in rural parts of Malaysia, how do we start to shape um, a conversation for young people that is uh, not national but actually kind of local-specific?
2: I think um, it really goes down to the work in that area. So, for example, WO we have collaborated with Rehab, which is an NGO in Kelantan, and as much as we want to come in and kind of um, advocate for this cause and champion it even more, it really um, goes back to Rehab, for example, as a local NGO who speaks the local language and dialect and understands the nuances of like the girls and boys there to even start talking about the issue because for like an outsider to come in and suddenly talk about all these these things might really be daunting and intimidating to someone and especially if you really have staunch beliefs already, you might not be very perceptive to it.
0: Now... We've talked about um, uh, educating them on things like the soft touch and uh, sorry, the wrong touch and the right touch, and so on. But a lot of this also has to do with emotional preparedness, right? Because sex ed tends to take uh, a biological or a physical safety approach. How do we incorporate uh, that emotional component into all this?
2: So I would say um, normalizing the topic of consent, because I think it's really really important and. Um, as a capacity building officer, we harp on this in almost every trainings because consent does not only apply to sexual um relationships, it also applies to friendships. Just me and you right now, like you asked my consent to join this call, etc. Um, so when we do teach them about consent and we match it with the level of the emotional maturity, they can somehow know that, you know, they do have the power. Um, to say no to things they're uncomfortable with, even though it's their peer pressuring to do them. Um, if that makes them look uncool, if that makes them look like a prude, it's okay. Um, but I guess schools could also supplement this by building a safe community, especially with teachers who are the frontliners in schools and maybe the counsellors being more CSE-equipped just so that they can really talk about the students and support them in the way that they need
1: I wonder if we look at, we've been talking about young people as if they're a homogenous group, uh, what kind of young people are there out there? And with, with these different groups, where are they getting their main source of understanding of the world themselves, relationships, and a sexuality? What do you see in your work?
2: Uh, from the capacity building end, when we engage with girls in colleges and in schools, I think TikTok is like a huge thing with them nowadays. So it's like a double-edged sword because they are learning about things and they're like really woke, especially in terms of like advocacy. They're really aware of their rights. But at the same time, they might be learning things from people who aren't qualified to be talking about these topics, like just strangers on the internet claiming to know a lot about sex or about their body sexuality. And they could really be absorbing the wrong kind of information.
0: So what does that mean when we talk about um, comprehensive sex ed? If um, online communication, relationships, social media is so pervasive, it also does mean that there is a sort of um, freely available bulk of information. It's also available much earlier than it used to be. What are the concerns around this? How can we take that into account? I
2: think we could definitely involve the students Um, when we're trying to uh, to make a curriculum that is for them. Um, So again, like I mentioned before, instead of like making a huge chunk of syllabus and then here, once you reach form three, you have to learn this is this. We listen to them um, about what they want to know and what, you know, some kind of misconceptions that they had and then use that to build a curriculum that answers their questions. Um, But at the same time, that's where the data, like the one shared by MOH is really important because... With that data, we're able to craft policies that are more evidence-based, which would be more effective in targeting issues
0: like this. Adelina, thank you for speaking with us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That was Adelina Zukifli, a capacity building officer with the Women's Aid Organisation, speaking to us about... um, sex education and in a larger sense attitudes that we pass on to young people when it comes to sex. This comes as a survey shows um, shows that there are um, a number of younger people um, for instance um, those aged 14 and below engaging in sexual behaviour um, a concerning number of them not using contraception or birth control. Um, so we're asking you what's lacking in our sex education you can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 0187898899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. I think we have time for this message from TIDJ that's come in. So TIDJ says I don't know what's lacking in our sex education syllabus. I can say that an entire generation didn't have sex education. We educated ourselves with material available on the internet as we were lucky enough to grow up at the advent of household internet. I do consider reproductive education in Form 4 biology as sex education. What I've heard from family and friends about sex ed now is how the educator is often reluctant to teach it and those who who do provide a disclaimer that if they had their way, they wouldn't be teaching it. I think what's needed is is judgment-free educators, especially for such a traditionally embarrassing topic to talk about and even more to teach about. Uh, That's interesting, right? The whole question
1: of educators, because they're the conduit for policy. So if you have progressive policies, uh, but your educators don't want to deliver it, then what do you do? If you have a good curriculum that deals with all the things that we talked about, not just the biology, but the question of safety and responsibility, uh, then what happens?
0: No, I uh, uh, ti dj. I am guessing that you and I probably had that same reproductive education um, in secondary school. Um, and while I agree that it it sort of is one component about learning uh, when learning about sex, it really is very biological. I am glad that we've gone past that now, and that there is some form of sex ed being imparted in schools, but. I think that point about teachers is so important, right? If you have a teacher straight up saying in class, I'd really rather not have to do this, but I'm going to do it. um, What does that say about attitudes? What does that say about the kind of judgment that you're passing on to your students?
1: Yeah, and also, you know, in terms of their training, right, to to say that somehow this would be skippable. I mean, is sex education skippable? And if it is, why? I mean, why was it there? And I think uh, planned as a as a much more comprehensive view of what education needs to deliver for young people, life skills, and an ability to negotiate the future.
0: Oh, I like that. I like bundling it under life skills, because I think that makes sense um it is something that you equip people to be able to deal with life about right yeah because it's so much in fact it's everywhere
1: it's in your in pop culture and in, in particular but it's also in your relationships increasingly with strangers right it's people outside the family uh, circles and friendships and the those secure places you are uh, going to be encountering strangers <laughs>
0: Send your thoughts our way. What is lacking in our sex education? You can call 77332900. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018 789 8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Begin free Malaysia. BFM 89.9. The Business Station. It is 5.38, you're listening to the Evening Edition with Sharmila and Sharad. We are talking about a survey amongst uh, adolescents which indicates a couple of things about their approach to sex, right? So, um, most uh, mainly the two things that stood out to us was that... Um, The number of adolescents engaging in sex, 7.3%. However, of that number, 33% are engaged in sexual activity before they turn 14. And 75%, sorry, and 88% of them aren't using birth control. So a number of things there about uh, safety, about um, perhaps not being given the sort of resources to learn about safe sex even. Um, And so we are asking you, what's lacking in our sex education? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. We do have a voice note. This is from Wyming.
1: Hi BFM. Perhaps can teach it um, within the the scope of uh, an area of study which is called lifespan development. Uh, lifespan development usually covers the life, different life stages of a person um, uh, that goes through from uh, from birth until maturity. So perhaps if you teach it as uh, within that, that scope, um, uh, it might be it might have a better uh, positive effect on the, the children and the teenagers who are studying this.
0: Waiming, thank you for that. Um, I can see value in that. Um, My only concern with that approach would be that it might unnecessarily Medicalize or turn it into a very scientific or academic conversation, rather than one that also takes into account the actual realities of of growing up and and having sexual relations.
1: Well, you know, I I just had to Google that, Waiming, and uh, it actually comes out of the American Psychological Association that you know sort of looks at um, you know how you might study uh, the maturing individual. But I'm much sh- wondered though how many young people um, would be interested. In the those stages far removed from their reality, mm. right? So would they be interested in the travails of a boomer like myself? I mean, right? I mean, would they really be interested in older people and decrepitude and all those wonderful things that happen when you get older? But um, but I see your point though because. It is that, right? I mean, especially because young people shouldn't be just
0: learning about themselves. They should be learning about others. No, they should. Um, I do think that with something like sex education, the more relatable and personal you make it, um, the easier it is for uh, people to take on board whatever it is that you're trying to convey. Uh, We have Danny saying, 41-year-old millennial here, I still remember the quote-unquote formal sex education in my schooling years at Form 3. Among the students, it was infamously known as BAP for Pembhyakan. Midterms, all students scored well for that segment. And that was it. It was quite scientific and dry. This was back in 97 other supplementary information to formal teaching I had was what I heard from my parents. They both sat me down, they both, they sat both me and my sister down for the birds and bees talk at the age of 12. Other information would come from my peers. It's imperative to mention there is no other comprehensive information such as consent, good touch and bad touch, relationships, contraceptives and so on, which is very important. In this age in 2023, where every kid would have a smartphone, it should be easy for them to Google the information, but the information would be appropriate for their understanding. I do agree that sex ed should be introduced at the age of 12, i.e. the preteen age, because most kids would be on the cusp of puberty. Cultural and religious sensitivities aside, the need for sex ed can't be avoided nor pushed aside. The Ministry of Health and Education need to work together on this.
1: Yeah, Danny, that's that's full of very interesting stuff, including the fact that uh, when I went to school, uh, it was pure biology and all we got... if. Adjacent to all this was the cross section of the human reproductive system, and that was as good as it got. Um, uh, The fact that we survived, generally, I think, uh, uh, you know, is remarkable. But I must say that at the end of the day, you know, Shamila, when we think about sex education, we always seem to come around to this point. Uh, We think it was necessary. But there's some people who are going to resist and then the conversation gets quiet.
0: Yeah, because I just think that, um, well, to be fair, um, the DPM did make a call last week that we should be strengthening the peers' um uh, syllabus in schools. But you're right that often it gets said. I'm not sure that enough gets done. Uh, Michael, in fact, is actually making that point saying, I think part of the issue is that the local cultural perception of the phrase sex education induces a knee-jerk reaction of teaching kids to go have sex. But that's what it is and we and it would get the youth listening rather than more sanitized terms. It's more of an issue with parents and educators.
1: So how do we bring parents ab- on board this and how do we bring educators in, in their going to be delivering the syllabus i uh, i haven't spoken to a teacher recently so I, I you know how do you help you get how do we get the individual teacher over the embarrassment of dealing with something that they didn't grow up uh, seeing as normal this conversation
0: between adults and children about sex so training i think is actually one big part of this um we can't just expect a teacher whose training might be in something else and often it falls onto the, the pe teacher for instance right um, to casually and comfortably be able to address such complex issues in the classroom. They do need specific training, not just in terms of the subject matter, but even in terms of methods and and, um, how they are in the classroom. Um, But yeah, I think that I think that it is quite imperative to get parents and teachers on board. Um, we will continue the conversation after this, but do keep your thoughts coming. We're asking you, what's lacking in our sex education? You can call double seven double three two nine hundred, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.